0: So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. We all have conversations. We chat, 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 chat. We have conversations. But what if your conversation had huge impact? And what if it gave you the advantage? Because you know us queers, we all need an advantage. We want to get everything we want out of life. But what if a conversation you had truly highlighted your power as an LGBTQ person or even more so as an LGBTQ leader. Well, that's what we're talking about today with my guest, Andrew Gelwicks. He is a writer, celebrity fashion stylist, and he's also a speaker who has a great book out called The Queer Advantage. It just came out in paperback after being out a couple of years in hardback, and it's so timely because there's so many things in our world and our planet today that the more we leverage our queer advantage, the more powerful influence I believe we can have. So that's why I said I wanted to have Andrew on. And I'm so glad that you're here, Andrew. Thanks for joining me, man, to have this conversation. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So the book just came out again in paperback I, I shouldn't say again but it's been out but the paper that's a kind of a big thing for us authors when we go from hardback to paperback i mean some people are like isn't that like stepping down i'm like no that makes it actually a little more
1: accessible to a lot more
0: people so congrats on that man that's pretty cool
1: so, thank you um you know just saying it's it's great to be talking about the book some more and um uh, super excited why did you do i know you've asked
0: answered this question a freaking million times but why did you want to do this book and have these conversations? What was it like for you personally, the impetus behind it?
1: You know, I think for so much of my life, and I know, you know, so many other queer people feel the same way. You know, that the so much of the time, the conversation is focused on the negatives uh, right. surrounding being queer. We talk about the hardships, we talk about the struggles. Um, And while those are important conversations that need to be had, it's not the full story. Um, And I really started to realize um, a few years ago that kind of that that notion that being queer is such a struggle and such a, a hardship isn't really... You know the full the full story is not really the whole truth. It's certainly, I've had struggles around us, mm-hmm. um, but it's so much more than that, and it's such an amazing thing in my life, and it's done so much for me, both my personal life and I think professionally as well. It's been mm-hmm. um, a great asset, and I think you know, talking about those experiences are really important. Um, so that was really why I wanted to write this and. You know, as I'm speaking with these people, a lot of them were talking about how they felt the same way that Mm -hmm. they've never really had conversations about the positives, which really just kind of reinforced that this is something that needs to be discussed.
0: I agree. And it's interesting because I'm working on book number two right now. And it's a complete departure from, frankly, My Dear I'm Gay. That was the first book. And that was my kind of my story. And then, but it was also, it also involves some somewhat how to's on like how to navigate, you know, through coming out and past religion or incorporating religion and owning yourself and not being freaked out. Like, okay, I'm into guys, but how do I do something with a guy? You know, it's all that stuff. Right. But then book number two is more about being unapologetically who you are. And as I've been talking to a couple of people and, you know, book publishers and stuff, they're like, when are you going to do a a sequel to like, frankly, my dear, I'm gay. And, and I'm like, you know, I haven't really thought about that because there is a side that should be what, where's the celebration? What do what do we celebrate when we're past that? Not that it's ever quote easy per se, but when I saw your book and started reading through it, one of the things that popped in my mind is how easy it was in my career to be me. Now, Mm -hmm. granted, I worked for a company that was very welcoming, even in the mid-90s. So to be at a company that was super welcoming in the 90s was like, what an anomaly. But every step of the way through, even the company I currently work with, I can just be who I want to be. And that says a lot about the leadership of the company. And not to tout my own horn, but it says a lot about who we become as queer leaders too. like. It's not like we have to throw it in people's faces, but it just becomes a matter of a fact conversation, so to speak. What have you found along the way that made it very successful for you to be who you are in your world? Because you,
1: you you do a lot of different things, but like to just be present as a queer man in the world. You know, I am extremely lucky on a few different levels because I live in New York City Um, And I primarily work in the fashion world where which is extremely um, queer, um, which is one of my favorite things. But, um, you know, I find some of my queer advantages come out in through working in fashion, I think, because so much of my job as a stylist is needing to connect with my client, Um, I think. You know, on the service level, the job is to find pretty clothes and, you know, dress, dress their client up to look nice. But to get to that point, you really need to be able to relate to somebody and connect with someone and have empathy. And um, I think one of, my queer, one of my advantages comes from being queer, where I've kind of been honing those skills ever since I was young, <laughs> because I really needed to. Um, in order to relate to people and to mm-hmm. find that connection, I think, um, you know, a lot of organizations now are realizing the advantage of allowing people to show up to the workplace as their most authentic self. Um, not only is it good for morale and personal reasons, but frankly, it's good business, too. Right? Um, and, you know, people are more productive. They care more put more of themselves into the work if they're able to be themselves and it's so if you're you know i remember i've been out my whole professional career um but i remember in you know when i was younger and that uh, that feeling of hiding yourself it's very limiting and Mm -hmm. i can't even imagine how limiting that would be in a professional space if you're doing that there you're not able to bring your full creative productive self to the office um so i think companies are really starting to realize that they need to allow people to have that safe and welcoming space and environment.
0: And sometimes I think it gets overshadowed by, and I know you speak in organizations about this, but it gets overshadowed by, okay, well, let's just do, let's do our diversity equity inclusion week. And okay, good. check mark, We did that this year. Let's keep moving. It's mm-hmm. a daily thing. It's a daily thing. And even in my own world where, you know, I'm 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 out and proud, but I'm not like brash about it. Well, I think my coworkers go. he's always bringing up something around it, right? I do it out of jest. And I'm like, well, I'll, I'll post something in our team chat. Like, well, girls, listen. And it's like a whole <laughs> company of straight people, right? Yeah. But I think that's part of me being able to say, here's how I feel comfortable. Now, I'm also very cognizant that, you know, for some people that may be a little bit much. But if I go hide myself, I'm not being myself and I don't need Mm -hmm. some diversity, equity, inclusion week to say, yay, check. And, you know, I hate to even say this right now, but I've been asked to speak at some of those. I always am willing to. But one of the driving home messages, I'm like, this isn't a once and done event, folks. This is a Mm -hmm. daily practice. And I feel like your book and the interviews you've done is showcasing we can't just say, "Ooh, let's check this box and move on. It's like a constant working at it. So what have you seen in some of the more recent events that you may have done? Have things changed dramatically as far as this whole like inclusiveness, equity, all this, or do you feel like it's still like, man, we're still climbing the mountain. <laughs> we're still climbing that huge hill to get to where people really feel embraced.
1: You know, I think we're still climbing, but um, I, I'm also, you know, under the belief that we can never um, settle and we, you know, we we, ha- we can't, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, you know, we, we can always make some progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you are right on the nose when you say that this is not a let's do a diversity, equity, inclusion panel, and then we're done, you know, every day. And it's clear, you know, I think a lot of people that are like, what else is there to do? It's not like you need to do a big grand thing every single day. It's simply even just like little micro actions Mm -hmm. um, of inclusion and acceptance uh, that really are what go the long way. Um, in creating that environment. And I think a huge part of this and what I one of the things I really love about kind of the work I do with organizations and companies is that so many of the people that are participating are not queer. They right. are uh, allies who are either just very supportive or they genuinely want to learn more. Um, And I think non-queer people are a huge part of this conversation. They allow us to realize our queer advantages when they support and give us that space. Um, So I think that's one of the things I have seen is such a a fantastically large number of people who do do not identify as queer trying to be a part of the conversation to learn more and to... Uh, help support
0: when when you talk about learning more, what is what are some common threads that people feel like they need to learn more on? because I've been in that world too, but it's always I haven't been in it I haven't been doing that stuff in a while, but I'm always curious to like, okay, what's kind of the quote current hot buttons or things that people feel like they need to have more insight
1: on? Yeah you know, i don't I don't know if I can name like a hot button per se, but I think a lot of the question is, how can I be? So how can I be more supportive? Or how can I mm-hmm. just show my support? Um, you know, because some people understandably, they don't want to offend, they don't want to point something out, they don't want to draw attention, maybe to something that you don't want attention onto. Right. Um And, you know, like one of the examples, for example, that's become more prevalent is pronouns and email signatures. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was talking to an organization and I really thought this was great where they, it was mandatory for the entire organization. You have to have it. It mm-hmm. wasn't even, um, um, optional, uh, an, sorry. Yeah. Optional. Um, but even just things like that where it's, or it start out their meetings, like, hi, you know, if we're doing a meeting with the people around the world or a large group of people, hi, I'm Andrew. I'm he, him, his, you know, it's just that, small micro action which really isn't even that micro uh right. for people to come into that space as their full self so i think mm-hmm. it's things like that you know that are popping up
0: well it's interesting that you bring that up because i've had a lot of conversations around this because i'm one i'm one of the few on our team actually there's probably four or five on my team um that have done the pronouns and others are like i don't understand it i'm like well let me let me let me explain this to you then, you know? And mm-hmm. it's like, what does it hurt? You know? So yeah. okay. If you don't want to do it, I mean, I guess don't do it, but you know, it's like it would be like not recognizing that, you know, somebody's black or Chinese or something like that. You know, it's like, oh no, we're gonna pretend this doesn't exist. And as I've worked with a lot of DNI speakers in the past year, it definitely has become even more prevalent, like this isn't about continuing to quote change per se, which is the ultimate goal. Like let's change the dialogue, right? It's about continuing to have dialogue. It's about start. Mm -hmm. In some cases, it's about starting dialogue. And I think that's part of the key is when we realize these are elements of keeping the dialogue going, so to speak, or at least even getting the dialogue going, These are the things that are super, super important. And people oftentimes Mm -hmm. miss that piece. You know, they don't realize Mm -hmm. that you may not see it's kind of like, well, I don't know. Why should I care about, you know, voting for this or voting for that? It's like, well, do you, you do realize that if certain things happen, the queer community is going to be greatly at risk for so many things? Well, like what? And I've had to explain this to some people like, okay, so if they really get what they want and they overturn, you know, the, the right to marriage, I lose so much. It's not the mo- money per se. Yes, the tax benefit is great, but I lose the ability to walk into a place and say, this is my partner and this is my husband. They, I'm in a hospital. I said, you all haven't ever lived any of this. And that, that's just one example. And I'm sure you see this often too, but because you work in the fashion industry, other than, you know, I don't even want to go stereotypical, but why do you think In certain industries like yours, it's so much more like, okay, this is just a fact of life. Other than there is a lot of people. I was in the hotel industry. Same thing. Lots of LGBTQ folks in the hospitality industry. But why do you feel like some industries can embrace this so simply
1: and others can't?
0: I know that's a big big, question.
1: Yeah, That is a big question. Um, You know, I I honestly don't know. I just think historically, it's just been more of an accepting space, I think the, um, you know, the create, the creative people are really drawn to it. Um, and I think it's just kind of one of those spaces that really fosters individuality and, um, you know, that need to bring yourself, bring your full self forward.
0: What's been one of the scariest parts for you personally, like bringing your full self forward?
1: I mean, it's scary. It's scary to bring (laughs) you know to be you know fully yourself. That's it's um, you know that's intimidating Mm -hmm. um, because it's very vulnerable to be fully authentic, Um, and I think it's something that. I mean, it's one of the most important things in in my life, but it's also something that I have to work on um, every day to be to ask myself: Are you being fully authentic? Does this feel are you Does this feel like something that's authentic, or are you high? Like you know, what get kind of getting a temperature read on um, what I'm doing. Um, so I think just overall, being being uh, your full self. Can be really a scary notion, um, but I think it's really kind of the one, the surefire way to really being successful and um, re- achieving your full potential.
0: So, as you interviewed lots of different people, I mean, from Billie Jean King to Margaret Cho and uh, lots of people in between, what was a common thread about? And again, this is a big, kind of a big question, but what was a common thread you started to notice between all those people who said, here's why I choose to be out the way I am. Was there like a
1: common thread you saw? You know, and this is what I found so interesting doing it that you're talking about one notion, you're talking about one concept of the queer advantage. And yet of all 51 people I spoke to had a different take on it. Mm. And To me, I'm like, what's cooler than that? Uh, You know, each of these people who are so incredibly inspiring and successful in their own fields, with such a variety of lived experiences and backgrounds, they each have come to their own idea of what the queer advantage is and why the queer advantage is so powerful for them. Um so I think almost the lack of uh uniformity in the answers is what I found you know to be the most uh interesting frankly. Mm -hmm.
0: I do too. And it's always the reason I I specifically asked that question for that purpose because I yes there'll be some thread of consistency, but what I love about getting to do this is there so many different perspectives of like what being out is and living out loud and, and not living out fully. And, and, you know, all these things are so different and that's what gives us the beautiful perception of anybody listening or reading your book can find something that works for them. That's like, Oh, I could really identify with that. You know, one of the things yeah. I feel very compelled about, about being my queer out self is And I'm not the only one out there, but that I'm actually a father of biological children. And that Mm -hmm. used to really fuck with people's minds. Like we don't understand. (laughs) We don't understand. You mean (laughs) you, you did that. And then you, I'm like, well, it was always there. It was always there. I was just trying to suppress it to, you know, fit into my world and all these sort of things. But I've, I've seen how that's played into my world as a professional too. Like I, I kind of bring that fathering piece of who I am into everything I do. And I love that. That's how mm-hmm. I become a, I feel like a really good leader. And, and and I've led some pretty big teams and everything, but that little, in you know, little just specialty of mine, that uniqueness is what makes me really good at what I do. A lot of times is seeing that piece of myself okay. and go, okay, I'm going to leverage that. How can I be mm-hmm. that caring parent and that mentor and, and surprise, surprise. So here I am a coach, you know, that doesn't surprise me at all of this is where I ended up landing, but I also find at times it can be a little bit challenging to find myself in those spaces because there's almost this inherent, like, well, this is who he is. This is how he's supposed to show up. And that's great too. But there's times I'm like, can somebody else just please step in, step in and play this role, you know, but mm-hmm. um, so what are you enjoying most about having this like duality of voices? You're a writer, you're a stylist, you get to speak on stages. What do you enjoy most about all the diversity of who you are and being able to share yourself with the world?
1: I mean, it's it's one of those things where I kind of, you know, even like look at today, I just had, I'm in New York City at my studio in Flatiron. I just had... Uh, a client leave my office for for styling. Um, Now I get to speak with you about the book. You know, it's that kind of being able to bounce around and show those different sides of me, of my personality, my interests, um, that's so exciting. And frankly, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, how lucky am I to be able to, to do this as a career? Um, so, and, you know, it's also fun to kind of mix and match both, you know, for the queer advantage, I got to include Michael Kors, where ironically I had interned when I was uh, 19. Mm. Um, and, you know, just with my client right now, uh, I was talking about the book with her. So it's things like that, where you're able to kind of mesh your worlds together. Um, and that's really exciting to me.
0: I, I feel the same way. It's like the variety of what I get to do is always so interesting because um literally right before we, we, we started recording this, I was actually speaking with Samantha Gibb, Maurice Gibbs daughter. And I'm like, okay, this is kind of crazy. <laughs> like I listened to these guys and I didn't, I mean, I was like, it didn't really set in like until I reread the bio. I'm like, Oh wait. This is who I'm getting ready to talk to. This will be really interesting. But then knowing I was going to get to talk to you next, like, okay, now we're going to talk about, you know, the queer advantage stuff, like as a person in a career and business owner and all, it's so much fun. And then when I get done, you know, talking to you, I'm going to go record one from my 40 plus gay men, gay talk podcast where I'm just going to rip the boys some assholes. You know, I'm like, come on, bitches. (laughs) If you really want to, you know, do what you want to do, but I love it. And then I get to flip gears again and go do, okay. Now I get to go do what I do on a regular basis too. So I find when we can do that. And I remember back in 1996, when I joined the company that I ended up coming out of the closet working there, it was so interesting to navigate around in that career environment, because I knew in my heart, I was, I was struggling. I was super struggling with my sexuality. And my first daughter was born while I was working there. And then shortly after my second daughter was born. And shortly after that is when I finally came out and I'm like, this is like a big explosion career-wise mm-hmm. and everything. But knowing that I had this amazing environment to make this happen, changed everything. And that's what yeah. I love about what you've shared in the book is all these different vantage points, of uh, people who are queer leaders number one in their own right whatever they may be but also seeing how each one's journey is an inspiration to like just mm-hmm. be who you are just mm-hmm. be who you are i don't see the point in hiding at this stage well, i'm like 59 years old so fuck you i'm not hiding nothing's going to be hidden anymore you know it mm-hmm. just there's no point in it have you noticed and i'm sure you have doing what you do but there's always something interesting to me have you noticed a shift in like, especially in the fashion industry, that the younger generation is kind of like more screw you, we are
1: who we are? Or do you feel like there's still like a hold back to some degree? I definitely think there's been a shift where talent at a younger younger and younger age are coming out. And when I say coming out, I don't mean coming out of the closet, but right. just coming forward uh, as their full at the themselves, regardless of, you know, what that may be, or how they want to present that. Um, a lot of times that comes out in terms of how they identify with their gender. And, you know, if they want to dress more masculine or feminine, or however they perceive that. Um, and it's really exciting. And I, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how it continues to evolve. Um, And um, I think it's really remarkable kind of how this has been happening and how um, fashion has really uh, embraced it because um, I think it, you know, fashion is always Typically been a, an inclusive environment, but even more so now, where it really seems like um, the more authentic you are, uh, the more welcome you are. So, I'm going to ask this question. If
0: you don't want to answer, just tell me to go screw off. But okay, what do you think might could happen in the fashion industry if? everything does start to roll back. And then suddenly the LGBTQ people really truly have targets on their backs. What do you think might happen in the fashion industry? Will they rise up? Will they
1: fight for it? What do you think? What would happen? Sorry, repeat the question.
0: Well, I'm just curious. If So let's just say the election happens and uh, you know, yeah, this yeah. is going to be airing by the time it does. So we're pre-recording this. But if it happens and suddenly, you know, crazy st- stuff starts going down, like they're going to take marriage equality away. They're going to start wow. coming after us. And, how do you think the fashion industry will respond?
1: Oh, I think there would be an outcry. I think the good the, the good thing about fashion, and if you are looking at, let's say, you open up a fashion magazine and you're looking at an editorial, a, you know, beautiful fashion spread. I think yep. on some level, you should have an idea of what's going on in the world based on that. It's yep. not purely about clothes. If you look at designers. Um, in their collections, there's so many of the, so much of the time, there's indications of what's going on around the world. Yeah. Um, and fashion's a tool for that. Um, and I think, you know, more and more so people in fashion are becoming, uh, are using their voice more as a form of political action. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the cover of Vogue, I think it was two months ago, uh, probably, I think it was October, Jennifer Lawrence, you know, the quote says, you have to be political. Yes. Um, so I think that's kind of where we are at right now with fashion. Mm-hmm. The reason I asked
0: that question is because I was laying in bed last night doing <laughs> what do a lot of us do, like flipping through Instagram and all these mm-hmm. things. And I actually, I, and I, I wish I would have like saved the video, but it was a it was obviously some fashion show somewhere. And it's kind of like they showed this like clip of like all the, you know, all the outfits coming out. But then it's like it suddenly cut to the, the you know, the finale walk. And none of those clothes were the same clothes, but it was all the models in like basically pencil skirt um, skirts, you know. But each of them had like on these long T-shirts and each T-shirt said something like vote women Mm. BLM. Mm. LGBT, it was so interesting. And, and then I read the caption, it's like this is what happened. It's I wish I could remember the designer again. But I thought, yes, this is what it means. And that's why I asked the question, Andrew, because I think there's pockets, you know. Like I said, I was just talking to Samantha Gibb, and we had this similar conversation like, will the music industry rise up? Will the you know, will the entertainment industry rise up? I think there will be pockets that will say no, no, and I don't just say it has to be those pockets, I think there will be a huge uprising, like no there's too many people who are hurt by these things. And I think this is where we stay diligent and keep doing what we're doing. And books like yours are going to help continue to pave that way. So, so any other books in the work? I mean, I know you write all the time and do other stuff Any new books coming your way
1: or you're like, no, I'm too busy. (laughs) No, I I have some ideas. I think, um, you know, I think I'd be interested to There's a few different projects I want to pursue and, maybe see combining my writing and fashion mm-hmm. and seeing like what's possible there. But um, you know, again, it's just it's really exciting to be able to kind of be at this space where um I can explore the writing, I can explore the fashion and um, you know, have a little bit of everything.
0: Well, and it's such a unique intersection where you can use both to leverage the other,
1: you know? And yeah. um
0: those are to me, those are always power powerful things when people can say, okay, well, I do this and I do this, but there's the intersection where together those things actually can have even, you know, additional impact. And sometimes people miss those things in their world.
1: I mean, we even talk about that in the queer advantage when it comes to, you know, different aspects of identity. It's the at the intersection of those different identities where you find the greatest source of power. So uh, it goes to this level as well. Right. Well,
0: I mean, I never saw that intersection coming with me. I mean, I came out late in life and I'm like, OK, finally, I get to be who I am. And then literally six years later, it was like, OK, I'm out of a job. What do I want to do next? I'm like, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to leverage being a late in life bloomer guy and start working with people coming out late in life. And then everything took off. And I'm like, if somebody had told me that in 1999, when I was in the shit storm of divorce and all this sort of stuff, I would have said you're absolutely crazy. But then mm-hmm. the convergence happened. You know, and yep. I feel very blessed that that's what happened for me. So, so before we wrap up here, here's one of those kind of questions that I don't usually ask, but I feel like you would have an interesting answer uh, out of all the things you do <laughs> it's gonna be kind of my own little, maybe Oprah moment, but out of all the things okay. you do, what would you like your legacy to be? I
1: hope that because of something I did or something I do, you know, people are able to be more authentic um it's just living a more authentic life because i think that you know has this obvious reasons with the queer advantage and embracing your authenticity and i think even with fashion too is uh you know expressing yourself with fashion in an authentic way um you know i think it can I mean, I, I can still think of many examples in high school of things I wanted to wear. Mm. But I was like, oh, my God, I could never do right. that. you like, <laughs> I, I, oh, my God, like, I'll be out of it the second I walk into the right. hallway, um, you know, so I think just that sense of being authentic, I think that would be the, the most rewarding legacy. Um, mm. Yeah, I've never thought about that. But that's a, yeah, I think that's what it would be. Mm. That's awesome. It's so funny you bring up that whole wearing something to high school. So I
0: I went to high school in Arkansas of all places. And I remember when we moved there, we had basically moved there from, you know, Colorado via California. And my parents were like young hippies, you know, mm-hmm. and we show up and I go to this very Christian school in Arkansas. And I'm like walking in. And the first thing somebody says to me is like, you must be a hippie from California. And I was like, Oh my God, really? Oh and my then, God. of course the next thing that happened was like, ah, you also look like you must be one of those queer gay people, which at that time queer was really offensive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, just because, okay. I know it's hard to imagine because I have no hair now, but I had, I had fairly long hair, but not like down my back. I mean, it was like, just, you know, kind of, you yeah, right at my shoulder, yeah. like, or whatever. I mean, it was, this, you know, it was the 70s. So that's who yeah. I was, right? That impacted me so much through my entire sure. life. I had to, like, really be careful. Because even then, I was really, I mean, I was struggling with my sexuality. That I knew it then. I'm like, yes. Every time I could see somebody, some guy with his shirt off or naked, I'm like, oh, that's nice and pretty to look at, you know? Yeah. But I couldn't because it's like, it was, A, it was the 70s and and You're like, oh, no, no you know? But it's interesting to, you know, think through those little moments and, and yeah. how much they impacted us, you know, but then flip, sure. flip it forward to, you know, what you do now and what I do now. I'm like, no, I, I've always maintained if I do nothing else in this world to create a legacy is that I never have to and nobody else ever has to coach or mentor somebody on how to come out of the closet. I would be mm-hmm. blessed. I mean, I mm. I would love to be unemployed because of that reason. That would be yeah. one of the things I would I would love to never make another dime doing this. But um, yeah, anyway. yeah, that's well, a good one. I like that. I, I love that we had this conversation, and I love the queer advantage. And anybody who's listening that would like a copy of his book of Andrew's book, please email me. Y'all who listen know, if you've already emailed and asked for a book, you get one. One time you get a book. But um, anybody who would like a copy of the book, I would love to send you a copy on my dime because I think it's a really impactful book. And I think you would get a lot out of it. So um, again, Andrew, thank you for being here. And thank you for putting yourself out in the world the way you do. And uh, keep going and doing it, man. Thank you. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end, and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves, and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here on Life Uncloseted here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.